What is prayer? In many ways, prayer is a simple thing to do. But sometimes we can have a limited view of what prayer actually is. Now, don't get me wrong. Prayer is a means of supplication and making requests to God. It's just that prayer is also more than that. Prayer is both talking to God and having a relationship with Him. Prayer is making yourself available to God and allowing Him to make Himself available to you. Prayer is a way to ask God for provision for tomorrow and a means by which He provides the sustenance we need for today. So we pray not to get our own way, but rather we pray to align ourselves to God's will. We pray not for things that might create independence from God, but rather we pray as an expression of dependence upon God. Yes, God loves to hear our prayers and requests. He listens to them, He delights in them, and He responds to them. It's just that prayer is also where we can confess our sins, praise His goodness, listen to His voice, and be reminded of truth. Prayer isn't just a way to ask for more fruit, but through prayer, we begin to bear more fruit. Prayer isn't just words spoken at specific times during the day. It's living with a mindset that allows God to transform you throughout all of your days. So don't think of prayer as just an activity done before meals or bedtime, but rather think of prayer as a way of life. If you're like me, you want to pray better. I do. I, I just want to pray better. It's something that every, every believer should have is a desire that we want to be better at prayer. I don't want to pray better so that I can pray longer. I mean, I've heard some prayers go to the point where the person ends up by saying, and dear God, in conclusion, that's a little bit too long. I don't want to pray better so that I can use bigger words. And no matter what Devin may say, I don't use that many big words. I was in an elders meeting in our church down in Anna. And as we were ending up a prayer time, one of the elders who was a retired SIU law professor asked that we would have a sagacious spirit. When he got done praying, every elder looked at him and said, what in the world is sagacious? And it means wise. It means wisdom. He asked for a spirit of wisdom. I don't want to pray better so that I can impress God. I mean, the Bible tells us, Jesus said that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. I don't want to pray better because I have a lot of guilt and shame, although that is a reason to pray that we would ask God to relieve us from that. And I don't want to pray better just because I want to get what I want. No, and that's why a lot of us sometimes do pray because we have something that we want and we figure we'll go to God and ask for that. Uh, there was a dad with his five-year-old son. They were heading to McDonald's to get his son a Happy Meal. On the way there, they came across a really bad accident. And this was a habit of this father that when he saw something like this, he would pray for the people involved. And he turned around to his son. He said, son, we need to pray. And so the son says, please, God, don't let those cars block the entrance into McDonald's. Man, that's, that's praying for what you want. I want to pray better because I want to have a deeper relationship with God. I want to pray better because I want to have a more intimate relationship with God. I want to pray better because I, I want to be closer to the Father. That's why I want to pray better than I do now. I mean, the strength of every relationship that we have is built upon communication, right? The better that we communicate with our spouses or with other people, the stronger that relationship becomes. I know this both theoretically and I know it experientially. I know it, it's, it's true on paper, but it's true in practice as well. I asked Debbie one day, I said, Dear, what is it that you love about me the most, my, my tremendous athletic ability or my superior intellect? And she said, What I love about you most is your wonderful sense of humor. 
Mark Moore in his book, Core 52, he said, if we want to have a meaningful, meaningful relationship with him, meaning God, we need to learn how to talk to him. Jesus invites us to talk with the Father. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. It sounds to me like God wants to know what your needs are. God wants to know when you hurt. He wants to know when you're scared. He wants to know when you're empty. He wants to know when you're struggling. He wants to know when, when you're tired and, and troubled. He also wants to know your heart. God wants to know that you can trust him and that we can put our trust in him. Do you want to pray better? The disciples did. As a matter of fact, they asked Jesus that very question in Luke chapter 11. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. If you look at Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, you'll see there's a couple of phrases that Matthew includes that Luke didn't have in his writing. Luke, or Matthew includes the phrase, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he also said, and rescue us from the evil one. Now, it doesn't change the content. It doesn't change the meaning of the prayer at all. It just adds a, an additional description of how we should pray. And so the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. If you grew up in the church, any church, you probably grew up memorizing the Lord's Prayer, either from Matthew or Luke, but you probably memorized as a child. Nothing wrong with doing that. But that's not the point that Jesus has here. The how refers to the content. It refers to the attitude. It, it refers to the motivation of our prayer. It refers to the fact that when we pray seeking God's will, we're to submit to God in that. That we're willing to say, God, whatever you have me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do that. That's what happens. That's how we all respond when we pray. So this morning, as we look again at the Lord's Prayer, let Jesus teach us how that we might pray. And, and we'll be using the Lord's Prayer as that model. Let's do pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given to us what's called the model prayer. <clears throat> and as important as it is to know those words, Father, may we, know the, may we know the intent. Father, may we know what our heart needs to be and, and what our attitude should be as we, are, as we are coming to you with these prayers. Father, help us to get past the, uh, all the stuff that we sometimes put into prayer to get to the meat of the matter. Father, thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to prayer and through prayer to, to come to you. Father, bless our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be following that outline that you'll be reading this week in Mark Moore's book, Core 52, when he talks about prayer. And the first thing that he says is that Jesus is teaching us to pray. We're to begin by saying, our Father in heaven. And, and Mark adds on to that, that in doing so, we are to leverage our connection, to leverage your connection with God. There is some immediate tension that you find in this opening phrase of the prayer. How do we balance having an intimate relationship with Abba, who is the Father, and with the Creator, who is God? I mean, they're two different, they seem to be two different kinds of personalities. And, and how do you bring that together? The very idea 
Us speaking with the creator of the universe is intimidating. It can be scary to us. Annie Dillard wrote a book called Teaching a Stone to Talk, and she talks about prayer. And she writes, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs, and she's talking about live Christians, I don't find these Christians sufficiently sensible of the conditions of prayer. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? She writes, the churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. They should, they should, uh, ushers ought to issue light preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. I want you to know, and I hope you believe, that when the body of Christ comes together, when you as the church assembles here, and no matter where you are, when you come together to pray and you invoke God's name on that, God will do powerful, amazing things. Amen? He does. And when we pray together and when we seek God together as a church, God will unleash his power upon the church and upon the world as well. But recognizing the power and the authority of God should never hinder our pursuit of having a relationship with God. Again, those two realities are sometimes hard to put together. How can we have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? Tried to picture this in my mind as a father who would love his child and at the same time be a father of great authority. Uh, you may have seen the movie a few years back called Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis played the part of Abraham Lincoln, did a tremendous job. At one point in the movie, you see Lincoln lying on the floor next to his son. His son had fallen asleep on the floor playing with some toy soldiers. And Lincoln bent down and, and he picked up his son and cradled him in his arms and then he, he walked to his room and, and put the child in his bed. Now juxtapose that intimacy, that care, that love from the Father with the fact this man is also the leader of a great nation. I think sometimes that's how our relationship with God needs to be. We understand that we have a loving God who embraces us. At the same time, he is the creator. There's some tension there, but it's livable. We can be within that and, and, and be okay. Rosalind Rinker said prayer is just a conversation between two people who love each other. But when we harmonize the truth of God as creator... And God the Father, it radically changes our relationship with him. It, it changes the way that we pray. It allows us to get beyond all the, the hierarchy sometimes, the, the big words that we tend to use and, 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 and the stuffiness and, and, and some of the nonsense that we put into prayer and get right to the meat of the matter and get right to the heart of God. In 1997, I had the privilege of going out with some of our men from the church in, in Texas where I was preaching to go to the Stand in the Gap. Uh, some of you might have been there. Uh, I, didn't, I don't remember seeing any of you there, but I didn't know you then either. So uh, I went out there with another, a million other men there in the mall area of Washington, D.C. And the stage was set up at the Capitol end of the building. And then there were jumbotrons all down through the plaza area, all the way back to the Washington Memorial, or the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. We were standing right around that monument area. And as the program began, right at 10 o'clock on that Saturday morning, you could see pictures on the jumbotron, but you could hear the speaker say, at 10 o'clock in just a moment, there will be the blowing of the shofar. A Messianic Jew will come out and blow this ram's horn. In the Old Testament, the shofar, the ram's horn, was blown as a call to battle. 
It was blown as a, a call to worship. It was blown as a, a call to repentance. And the speaker said, take whatever position is expedient for you, whether you're standing or lying down or sitting down, whatever you want to do, but use that as a time to pray for repentance from sin. I don't remember what anyone else did, but I remember lying down on the grass there in the plaza area of Washington, D.C., and I began to pray. And as I began to pray, I began to realize how sinful and how unworthy I was, and I began to cry. I began to weep uncontrollably. And as I heard that ram's horn sound, just a... Feel it running down my, my back, just the sense of God's presence was there and the sense of my sin. But also, and in just a few moments, that was washed away by, by God's grace. It was, it was as though a blanket were wrapped itself around me and covered me in God's love for me. It was a, a marvelous thing. When we get past all the formality and again, all the nonsense, and we go to the heart of the matter, we find there that God, the creator of heaven and earth, truly does love us intimately. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so Jesus said, pray, our Father in heaven, our God, Abba, Father, who loves us. Jesus went on to say that when we pray, we should ask for his kingdom to come. He said, what you're doing is embracing God's agenda, God's will in the matter, what, what God wants to do. This may be one of the most difficult aspects of our prayer life. I thought it was great that in the video the person said, power in prayer is aligning your life with God's agenda. The power in prayer is aligning our life, our will, with God's will. That's exactly what Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. Jesus said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Father, if there's any other way that your redemptive work can take place... Apart from me going to the cross and suffering like, like I know I'm going to do. Please, I, I'm all ears. I'm open to whatever that might be. But God, not my will, yours be done. And Jesus submitted himself to the authority and the will of his father. Bobby Richardson, who was the former New York uh, Yankees second baseman, was praying at a, uh, an FCA event. And it is a, a, a classic example of the, uh, uh, of the shortness of a prayer. He said, Dear God... Your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. So see, our prayer needs to be predicated on the question, God, what do you want? What do you want for me? What do you want me to do? How do we know what God's will is? That's a good question. If we go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, there it says that if we submit to the Spirit of God and we allow the Spirit of God come into us, then we will know what God's will is, his perfect, good, and pleasing will. And when the Spirit of God is in us and we are living in Christ, when we have the mind of Christ, as 1 John says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But I want you to remember something. Answered prayer is not a miracle. Answered prayer is a law. Answered prayer is a law from God. When we pray in faith, specifically, we meet the conditions of a loving Father. And he responds to us, and listen, he responds to us according to his will, not necessarily our own. What would happen if I, if I told you that when water reaches 32 degrees, it will freeze? Would that surprise you? Do you think that happens because you've earned that as a gift or you've been good and, and, and this is going to happen? No, it's a law of physics. We know that when water reaches 32 degrees, that water turns to ice. That's what happens. It is a law. The promise of answered prayer is a result of God's law. God promises to do this. 
However, would you be surprised to know, maybe even to experience yourself, that oftentimes God does not answer with a yes the request that we have. More often than not, God answers not in the way that we want or for what we think we need or the, or the way things should happen. And now you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, a seed you can't even hardly see, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When was the last time that you needed Mount Everest to jump into the ocean? Probably not. You don't, you don't really need that. Jesus is talking about the object of faith, not the object of need. It is faith that is, that is, is the point here. Often our prayers for a better life when our prayers really need in order for our faith to be better in this life. That's what we ought to be praying. God give us a better faith here. Asking for perfection in this life, asking for this life to be good without any problems... Really, it ends up taking our eyes off of the life to come, and we become more focused on this life that we're in right now. Many times God says no, because if he said yes to everything that we want, we would, we would turn our eyes away from heaven. We simply wouldn't be focusing on the, on the world to come. I was visiting with Mindy Indris uh, last week. Mindy um, struggles with diabetes, and because of that, she has, has lost one of her legs, down right below the, below the knee, or excuse me, right above the knee, she had that leg amputated. And we talked about the fact that, that she had prayed, and I had prayed with her that God would save her from this, and that God would heal her from that, from that disease. That prayer wasn't answered as she wanted, or other people prayed. But I, as I was leaving, she said something that just was so remarkable. She said, Dee, you know, sometimes I think God says no to all of these things because he's getting us ready for the big yes. I really like that. I said, Mindy, I'm going to use that, and I will even give you credit for it. God says no because he's getting us ready for the big yes. What is the big yes? The big yes is life eternal with God. The big yes is forgiveness of our sin. The big yes is being allowed to, to come into heaven and live with him eternally. That, that's, that's the big yes, and God's getting us ready for that. But if God said, everything that you want, I'll give you here on earth, then we're going to lose sight of the heaven that is to come. And we won't be ready for that. That's why God says no oftentimes because he wants you to know that the yes that is coming is going to be so much greater. Jesus said, when you pray, say, give us today. Give us today. Help us to require resources. I thought it was interesting that, that uh, Mark Moore in his book talked about uh, uh, what, uh, what we've been talking about here for the past month or so. As Tyson's been preaching on improving your serve, then he makes the point in his book on page 136 that when we align ourselves with God's purpose in life, Jesus promised, what he would get, Jesus promised that he would give us everything we need to accomplish everything he wants us to do. What is God's purpose for your life? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've asked that same question. That's a hard question. No, it really isn't. It's not hard. What is your purpose? Your purpose is to glorify God and to honor him with your life. That's your purpose. Now, you can do that in so many different ways, but that's our purpose for living, to glorify God and to honor him with our obedience. There is no higher calling than that. Whether it's ministry or anything else, there's no higher calling than to honor God with your life and to glorify him by your actions. Jesus said, give us each day the food that we need. Why? We need, to eat. we need to eat because we need strength so that we can do what God has called us to do. Food does more than keep us alive. It gives us the energy to carry out ministry. That's why, that's why we need food. Is it selfish to ask for other things? 
Well, no, not really. But how will the things, how does the things that we ask for every day make us a better witness? Help us to serve God more effectively. You might say, well, if, if uh, I, I could witness for God so much better about his generosity if he gave me a BMW. That's not quite how that works. That's, that's not the point. Moore suggested that we make a list for God. He said, make a list and mark off everything that you would, you would say is probably selfish. And then, he said, um, uh, ask boldly then for, uh, for the gift that you need, for the talent you need, the resources you need to carry out the work that makes sense on that list. The very purpose of laying hands on the folks that came up here this morning was to invoke God's blessings upon them for wisdom, for strength, for ability, for all that they need to carry out their work. You see, the very purpose of laying, laying on the hands was to ask God to do this. James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Daily bread. He said, pray for that. Jesus said when you pray, this is how you should pray. You should pray by saying, God, forgive us of our sins. In other words, remove those barriers. The forgiving of our sins, obviously, is one of the primary reasons that Jesus came. In Romans 5, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for our sins. We are reminded of this every Sunday that we take the Lord's Supper, just as Tyson talked about a moment ago. I am so thankful that God extends his grace to us every week. But here's where we sometimes struggle. God forgives me of my sins. Man, that's great. I am so glad he does that. Me forgiving someone else, that's a little harder. Not sure I'm ready to do that. I'm not sure I'm capable of, of giving that up. I'm not sure that I want to do that. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You see, forgiveness goes against our cultural norm. The world we live in today demands justice, retribution, compensation. It demands payback and even revenge. Yet the teachings of Jesus always ran counter to the culture. Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the, turn the other side. Give them the left one. If somebody sues the coat off of you, give them your shirt as well. If somebody asks you to spend your resources on them, spend it and give, give even more than that. It doesn't make sense, but it is the attitude that God honors. Still, you're thinking, yeah, D, but it's hard to let go. It's hard to forget the pain. You don't know what that person said. You don't know what that individual did. You don't know how badly I've been hurt. And I want that person to hurt just like I do. Remember two very important things. Forgiveness comes from God after we have forgiven others. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven, as we have already forgiven those who sin against us. Do you see that? Have forgiven. That's past tense. It assumes we have forgiven others before we go to God and ask for forgiveness. And the second thing is this. Being forgiven and forgiving others removes burdens. It's more than just spiritual. It is physical. It is emotional. God takes care of us. A woman with a terrible past finally came to grips with her sin, believed in Jesus, was baptized into him. She said, I immediately went home, stepped on the bathroom scales because I felt like a 20-pound weight had been taken off of my shoulders, and I wanted to see if it could be measured. Do you ever feel like your prayers hit a glass ceiling? They just, boom, they just don't go any further. Maybe you haven't forgiven someone. 
Maybe you feel justified. Maybe you feel somebody owes you an apology. They owe you an explanation. Maybe you've been waiting for so long that your life has become bitter. And the longer you carry that anger, the more bitter you become. There was a man that prayed, Lord, I have treated my wife with disrespect. I've abused her. I've been critical. I've been mean-spirited. I'm asking for forgiveness. And God said, don't tell me. I already know. Go tell her. Seek her forgiveness. That's where you need to go. There is freedom that comes from receiving and giving grace. I can tell you right now, you will worship better. You will love better when you forgive better. And that happens through prayer. On Easter Sunday morning, um, uh, the service was just awesome. I mean, we had a great crowd in, but the worship service was just fantastic. And John Robertson, Robertson talked to me a little bit later about that. He said, you know, there's only been two times in my life uh, when I felt like dancing in front of God. And one when he was on a mission trip, and he did. And he said the second time was on Easter Sunday morning. He said, I almost came out of my pew and came around and stood in front of where I was standing, and he asked me to dance. I think I would have. It would have been ugly, but I would have done it. I mean, the, the power and the joy of worshiping God was so great because we realized his grace. We realized his love and forgiveness. And, and when you give that up, when you give up that hurt and that hate and that anger and bitterness, you will worship God like you've never worshiped before. Jesus said, when you pray, say, deliver us from the evil one. In other words, follow a guide. The greatest barrier to our praying well is our sin. Yes, it is true. Prayer is that connection with God where forgiveness of sin can be requested. But if we continue in a sin, a sin that we are unrepented of, our prayers will be short-circuited. When I grew up on the farm, we had electric fences all over the place, and they kept the cows in, and, and, uh, and, and they were good for what they did. And you would go to a particular field, and there would be a wire stretched across the road, and there would be that plastic handle, that red plastic thing that was to be an insulator from the electricity. And you'd grab a hold of that, and you could stretch the wire and put it down, and you'd go through the field and do what you do. Every time I picked up that red plastic thing, I got shocked. Every stinking time, because there was always a crack in that someplace, and you guys have been on the farm know that. I got shocked all the time. Sin in our life, sin in our life is that crack that short circuits the power of God and his ability to work in our life. When we, when we have a sin that we will not give up, that has, that has wrapped its arms around us and we are imprisoned by that sin, if we refuse to give that up and give that to God and seek God's forgiveness, our prayers, the power of our prayer will be short circuited. It just won't work as well. The Bible says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is, it, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he will not listen anymore. That doesn't mean that he will never listen, but at that point he won't. When you pray, you pray for strength from the temptation of sin. Ask for forgiveness from sin. And when you ask for, those, uh, when you ask for forgiveness, be specific. Name it. Call it out by name, whatever it is. Give a name to it. That way there's accountability. That way there is ownership in this. Don't just be general, God, forgive me of my sin. God's saying, yeah, now you tell me what it was. And we can name it. We know. We know what we struggle with. Don't beat yourself up, but don't hold back. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Thinking sometimes the question needs to be asked, how often? We should pray often. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Always be in the attitude of prayer. 
Why? So that we can always come to God when the need exists, and even when the need doesn't exist, to come to him and pray. Kay Arthur is a Christian author. She, she tells a story about a, a friend's dad that, that he was hunting one day, and, and, and cradling the rifle in the crook of his arm, the story says that dad followed the old logging road that was nearly overgrown by the encroaching forest. It was early in the evening, or, or early in the evening and, and he was thinking about going back to camp when a noise exploded in the brush nearby. Before he had a chance to lift his rifle, a little small blur of brown fur came crashing out of the forest and came and just got right by his feet. It all happened so fast, Dad hardly had time to think. He looked down, and there was a, a little brown cottontail, utterly, utterly spent, crowded up against his legs between his boots, trembling all over. But he just sat there. He never moved, didn't budge at all. Now, this is really strange, Dad said. Wild rabbits are frightened of people. Not often do you see one, let alone one comes and, and, and sits at your feet. And while Dad was puzzling over this, another player entered the scene. Down the road, about 20 yards away, a weasel burst out of the woods. And when it saw my dad and, the, and its intended prey sitting at the feet of my dad, the predator froze in his tracks. His mouth was panting. His eyes were glowing red. It was then that dad understood that he had stepped into a life and death drama of the forest. The cottontail was exhausted by the chase. It was only moments from death. And dad was his last refuge. It had forgotten its natural fear. It crowded up against him for protection from the sharp teeth of that relentless enemy. Dad did not disappoint. He raised his rifle and deliberately shot into the ground just underneath the weasel. The animal leaped straight up into the air, came back down, and ran into the forest as fast as its little legs could take it. For a while, that little rabbit didn't stir. It just sat there, huddled at, at Dad's feet in the gathering twilight while he spoke gently to it. Where did it go, little one? I don't think it will be bothering you for a while. You're off the hook tonight. And soon that rabbit hopped away from its protector into the forest. So she asked the questions. Where do you run in time of need when the predators of trouble and worry and fear pursue you? Where do you hide when your past pursues you like a relentless wolf seeking your destruction? Where do you seek protection when the weasels of temptation and corruption and evil threaten to overtake you? Where do you turn when your energy is spent, when you are exhausted, when weakness saps you and you feel that you can't run away any longer? Do you turn to your protector, the one who stands with arms open wide, waiting for you to come and huddle in the security of all that he is? You go to God in prayer. This morning, maybe you need to go to God in prayer. There may be a sin that has relentlessly tied you up. And you need to say, God, I need to jettison this. I need to get rid of this. I need this out of my life in order to have that strong relationship with you. Maybe that prayer you're praying this morning needs to be one that says, God, I hear your voice speaking to me through your spirit. I believe you are who the Bible says you are. I need to confess you as my Lord and Savior and be baptized into you for the forgiveness of my sin. There may be other prayers that are being prayed, other struggles you're having. If you need, need to pray, Tyson and I will be glad to do that with you. And one of our elders will pray with you. Whatever your need is this morning, take it to the Father. Would you stand, please? Our God in heaven, we come to you this morning in prayer, seeking your face and seeking your grace. Father, praying that as we, as we expose ourselves to you in our brokenness and 
and the fears and the hurts that we have and the questions that dog us. Father, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you will give us the answers we need. They may not be the ones we seek. It may not be the ones we want. But Father, according to your will, they will be the right ones. Father, if you're speaking this morning to someone whose heart needs to be surrendered to you, I pray that that happens. And dear God, if there's a person here struggling with even the topic of salvation, may those questions be answered here and now. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.